You're listening to the Oodles of Marketing podcast, where two brothers, not brothers, wage war, debate peacefully, against the pitfalls of digital marketing. That part is accurate. Here are your hosts, Mark and Ryan Hughes. All right, today we're back with another uh, Oodle podcast. Today we have Angie Fisher, who is the current Chief Operating Officer at Lightborn Communications in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, incredibly talented and impressive individual. Uh, I, I've, I've feel dumber every time I talk oh. to Angie, um, which is a, is a great thing. It's a, so uh, really excited to have you on and, and chat today about kind of your, your background, what, you, what you've seen, and uh, really building an organization in marketing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about things with marketing as it relates to process and procedure and all those sorts of things. But, you know, without a team, you don't really have anything. Um, and it's incredibly difficult and you have a lot of really great experience, uh, that I think a lot of folks can benefit from. So welcome. thanks. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast, by the way, I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, we're always happy to be happy to, uh, oblige. Uh, you want to start off with a little bit of kind of your, your background, maybe the, the, the 10,000 foot, uh, Angie Elevator. Sure, fish. sure. <clears throat> I guess I'll start with my current role. So, uh, yeah, as, as you said, Ryan, I am the Chief Operating Officer of Lightborn Communications. We are in Over the Rhine, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, we are a, a motion graphics and 3D motion graphics studio primarily. We also do um, quite a bit of live action video production as well. It's really how the company got its start. And then more recently, we added on a division called Born Content that is more of what I think probably people think of as a traditional um, advertising agency model. So your typical copywriters, art directors, uh, creative directors that come up with ideas um, and then work with the, the team downstairs to shoot or animate or create whatever it is that, uh, that we're working on at the time for our clients. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in kind of a unique role in that I get to dip my toes in a little bit of each each organization from um, everything from animation and projection mapping that we do with um, with that side of the business uh, over into the more traditional agency side where really more of my background has been um, for most of my career. So um, we are a 38-person company, um, so fairly small, but um, as chief operating officer, I guess what that really works out to from a day-to-day -day standpoint is that I, I do a whole lot of different things in a day, and, and um, that's kind of what I love about it. No, no two days are ever the same, um, and I could do everything from meet with a client, uh, brief a team on a new assignment, um, work on billing reports, send invoices, work on our, our benefits, for our employees, um, it's it's really a pretty mixed bag of things that I do, I do each day, but uh, that's that's kind of what I love about it. Sounds very familiar. <laughs> you guys know what I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> very very familiar. The, you, uh, you know, one of the coolest things about your building is just sort of the unique architecture yeah. and layout of it. So it's it's three floors and over the Rhine, but it's mm -hmm. you know if if you. If you are near Cincinnati and you want just a really cool experience, yeah. just go tour the Lightborn building. Yeah. It's just a really neat space. Yeah, it's actually five floors. So even even a little more vertical. Oh, five floors. I thought it was yeah. three. Yeah, no, we've got five floors. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was built in 1925 um, as, as a commercial laundry facility here in Over the Rhine that 
It um, is mostly concrete because it was a steam laundry doing sheets, primarily for the hotels downtown and the hospitals up on uh, up on Pill Hill. And um, the building really fell into disrepair until our current owner purchased it in the 80s and rehabbed it from the ground up as a video production company. So yeah, it's a very unique space. Um, we've got a full studio in-house. So it, it's just, it's a fantastically creative space. Exactly. Yes. Yep. And, you know, Angie, we know each other in the, from being involved in the community, from yeah. being in, in similar spaces, yet somewhat different spaces within our, our respective agencies and backgrounds. We've had an opportunity to, to work together on some, um, some prospective client prospects yeah. and projects. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've had conversations, many, many conversations about, you know, do you know, a, a, a guy that is looking or a guy or a gal that is looking for this kind of a gig or this kind of a gig. And, um, you know, we were talking right before this, that, you know, the oodles of marketing podcast wouldn't even exist had you not connected us with some, some members of our current team. Um, so really interesting that, you know, we're able to kind of share the, not just the space of, of marketing, but also kind of refer talent, uh, to, to one another, uh, as, as necessary. So what, you know, that's, that's kind of how, how we got introduced to Angie was, yep. uh, we, we, how did we even meet? I don't even remember. How did we meet? Oh, wow. I don't remember. It's a great question. I don't know how far back that goes. Maybe before Andy, Andy Snyder. Yes. Andy. Yes. Andy Snyder <coughs> introduced Andy. us. Andy uh -huh. Snyder. Yep. 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 That was the initial introduction and, and, you know, we kind of snowballed and, and, and went from there. So, uh, again, thanks for, thanks for coming on. That's sort of the background of, yeah. of how we know each other. Um, you know, Angie, your career path is, is a really interesting one. So while most, if not all your career has, has been spent a lot in Cincinnati, it's not been in one place and it's been very, um, vertical in terms of, of starting from where you were and then and moving to where you are. So you can talk a little bit more about your background of, sure. of where you've been and, and how you got to where you are. Yeah, I, I joke, I kind of tripped into to marketing as a career. This is, this is not, uh, and I, I know a lot of people would probably say the same thing. Um, but yeah, yep. it's not, not something. I think that's how we all get here. <laughs> yeah. Right, sort of, sort of just <laughs> happened into it by accident. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to school for advertising or communications. I'm, I'm a psych major um, from Harvard and I graduated at a really interesting time in the world, right? So it was 1998. You know, when I started at Harvard, we didn't have email or we really had just gotten email basically. And, and, you know, this thing called the World Wide Web had just sprung mm -hmm. up and we were using Netscape mm -hmm. Navigator and uh, it, it, was, it was a great time to graduate because there was this place you know, mythically called Silicon Valley that, that people were flocking to. Uh, and, you know, mm -hmm. instead of like the traditional investment banking or, or maybe traditional brand management kind of role that a lot of people I think prior to that had, had done, all of a sudden there were these, these new opportunities to, to go try something new and work in, in startup land. And um, I actually, between my junior and senior years, uh, moved to San Francisco and, and took a job with a startup software company out there. Loved it, just totally fell in love with just the world of technology. And I was in a marketing role in particular, it was for an, an early CRM company. This was, you know, when CRM was just brand new. Um, mm -hmm. And I kept working for them through my senior year back, back at college. So 
I was doing sales support for their East Coast sales rep. So they, you know, like they got me a computer and I was working in my dorm room and helping do lead management on a... On a oh, wow. So you were remote <laughs> back in the, in the late yeah. 90s. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, exactly. That's unheard of back then. It was, it was yeah. a pretty brave new world. Yeah. But I mean, I thought this was the greatest thing ever. So it, there, there was no question for me when I graduated um, that spring that this is what I wanted to do. And, and they offered me a job. I booked my plane ticket. And two weeks before I was supposed to leave in June, they called and told me that they had uh, lost their latest round of, of venture capital funding and that uh, they could hire me as a contractor, but they couldn't offer me full-time employment. Um, but I was so like, that's the bubble time very, period, right? Yeah. Is that the dot-com bubble time period? Before, yeah. Just a little bit before. Yeah. Um, but I was like, gosh, you know, I'm ready to go. I've, I've got a place to stay. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and see how it goes anyway. My, my dad was like, you've got one month, one month to, to see how this goes. And if you don't have a job, you're coming back to Cincinnati. And, and just the way the economy was at that time in, in 98, I mean, it, it took about 24 hours and, I met a connection mm. through a Harvard friend who was working at a different startup, competitive to the one I had been working for. Um, you know, at one interview, they offered me the job on the spot. And, and wow, yeah, it was just a very different, very different time. Um, again, for another CRM, ERM kind of company doing one-to-one marketing. That was kind of the brand new term at that point. And I got to go mm-hmm. on a book tour with Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, sort of the, uh, the parents of the whole one-to-one future and, and all, wow. of, all of that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just definitely thrown into the fire of marketing. I was doing all their events, websites, brochures, all kinds of sales collateral. Um, but you're exactly right. That was right, right at the time of the bubble, 98, late 90, 99. And, um, yep. when that bubble burst, I, I was also just really overworked. Uh, it, it was, it was a crazy pace to try and maintain. And I could never do that. So some things in Silicon Valley just never changed, yep. right? Yep. That just the, the yep. overworked pace of, of working in a startup. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. three meals a day at the office. I mean, they'd buy all the free food you want if you would just stay there and work as, as much as you possibly could. Um, mm-hmm. So so when that when that bubble burst, I, I took a pause. And um, this is maybe a more interesting part of my, my journey here. But I, um, I went to culinary school in San Francisco full time for a year and a half. So I, interesting. Yeah. That's, that's a switch. <laughs> Just a little bit of a change. Yeah. I tr- still creative, but different kind of still creative. Still very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I similar muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but a very yeah. different world. And, and for a little bit, I tried to do both the tech marketing thing in the morning and then tried to go to class at night. And I just, I felt a little, a little too pulled in, in many directions. So ultimately decided to take a step away from marketing for that time being. And, and I took a job at a high-end restaurant in San Francisco doing uh, pastry and dessert production and service while I was going to culinary school. Um, but I'll say those, that those were, those were great experiences. I'm so, I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to do that. And, and I think it's, it's really given me a lot of teamwork appreciation that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. I mean, you, you cannot work in a restaurant or work the line. Anyone that's done that, you, you can't be a one man band. You, you have to rely mm-hmm. really heavily yeah. on the people around you to make that successful. And I think I learned that most in, in that position, which was a great skill. To, what's really to funny. Play. And yeah, what's really funny and interesting about that is, is Mark knows, obviously 
I've used a lot of example from restaurant mm-hmm. uh, when yeah. talking about team and and even process and how things need to flow and work and interact because you know fortunately or unfortunately no matter how you know like I'm a I'm a tech guy that wound up in mm-hmm. marketing right so in my world it's like eliminate humans as much as possible because that's where error and problems come from but unfortunately you know we we got to work with people right that's the whole reason we're right. here um so figuring out how to make people work together well and 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 kind of uh establish you know the well-oiled machine so to speak yes. is really complex and a few years ago or a couple years ago at this point i i fell down a rabbit hole of watching all of gordon ramsay's um uh i forget the name of the tv show the Kitchen nightmares. I know what you're kitchen talking nightmares. about. Yeah, kitchen yes, nightmares. I was going to call it Nightmare Chef. Uh, that's not it. <laughs> specifically, the UK version because okay. the UK version is edited very right? different than the US version. The US version yeah. is like much more inflammatory and just him screaming at people. The UK version is a lot about you know teaching folks process yes. and how to cook even and 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 you see a lot of that like if you if any person in the kitchen doesn't play their role properly. The whole, it all falls the whole thing falls apart super quick. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can't, you don't have room for the hero complex, right? The guy that's just like, everybody get out of my way. Let me, let me do everything. Like you, you can't do it. It's not possible. Exactly. And, you know, whether it's, whether it's the menu, if the menu's wrong and it's set your entire team up for failure, yeah. or you've got that person in the kitchen or somebody's not QAing the meals before they go out properly, you know, it, it just creates a, a, a tremendous amount of chaos. So it's really cool that you have that background mm-hmm. and, and kind of firsthand experience um, because I see a lot of similarities just having not been in that industry personally, but just watching yeah. and seeing those, you know, a lot of those things click and it, it's also just, it's a, uh, it's neat. Yep. For sure. Um, so I guess back to back to how did I get to where I am on this this long and yeah. winding road? Where'd you where'd you go after culinary? <laughs> you took a little. This is getting super detail. interesting. Right. I didn't know these things. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was in San Francisco, and even though the bubble burst, it was still incredibly expensive to live out there. And and working on a uh, you know a, a meager line cook's salary was was not sustainable for me for very a little long. Tough. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I uh, I did come back to Cincinnati uh, just because it was much much more affordable and um, and lived with my parents again. You know I I came back. I worked for a catering company here locally. Um, at this point, you know, I was in my mid twenties, and I think my parents were sort of like. All right, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do the real job now. You gotta, you gotta find something a little more sustainable here. Um, and again, I never really had considered the agency world. I'd, I'd had some, obviously, marketing and advertising background um, from working in Silicon Valley with, with, you know, all these software startups, but hadn't really considered the agency world. And and um, a family friend connected me to an agency in town that was called HSR. So it was a uh, business-to-business focused agency. Um, and, and I got a job as the very lowest level account role that they had. It was called marketing management specialist. And I, uh, again, I'll say I, I really didn't have much of an idea of what I was walking into, um, but I was immediately put on the Cincinnati Bell business account. And um, it's, it's a strange one that I, I seem to have, run into Cincinnati Bell at almost all of my subsequent jobs 
since then. I was um, just thinking that. I was like, yeah. wow, you've worked with Cincinnati Bell almost I since mean, the start of your career then, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's weird. Um, but I, I kind of I took to the agency pace really quickly. I, I just, again, I loved the variety. Um, just the, I got to work on my first TV spot ever. That was, that was so brand new to me. And just seeing that process uh, was incredible. Doing just a wide variety of different marketing communications touch points. Um, you know, we, at that point, the agency had an interactive component, but, but it was so new that we kept it, mm-hmm. we kept it in a different division. Like it had its own PL. We weren't quite sure if this was going to take off. These like whole, this website. You get in the closet over here right. and maybe we'll let you come out and play every once in a while, but no, you're your own right. thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, more right. of our business at that point was print-based, you know, whether that was billboards mm-hmm. or printed collateral or trade show sales support materials. That was, that was really our bread and butter, um, just as the internet was just taking off. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was lucky enough to be there when we got a pretty awesome opportunity as an agency to pitch for the Kodak business. Um, and again, remember, this is still when digital was pretty new and, and film and paper were still dominant in the photographic world. And um, right. it was a massive effort. I'd never participated in new business on behalf of an agency. So this was all a brand new process to me. Um, it was to create a membership program for professional photographers. And I mean, we worked mm-hmm. on it for months and months, went up to Rochester, New York, you know, pitched this huge presentation. I was put forward as kind of one of the lead account people, you know, and lo and behold, this little agency from Cincinnati wins, wins this global account. And that was kind of a, that was a big breakthrough moment, I will say for the agency, but also for me personally, um, because I worked on that account really as my sole focus for the next four years. Um, I got, I got a whole lot of travel, both, both in this country and beyond. (laughs) And, um, I, I, yeah, I feel like I got a lot of my my foundational experience working on that account, and it I was lucky enough for it to be in an, in an industry that I really loved and had some passion for too. You know, getting to work with some pretty big name professional photographers was was just a really cool cool thing to do. Um, That's an amazing experience, yeah. and you, you're you're talking and thinking about the the pitch work, and yes. you know when we first started Oodle almost 14 years ago now. I remember Ryan and I watched nearly every episode of The Pitch, yes, which was a TV series at the time. Right. So like a and t- so you're kind TLC of show or something like that. Yeah, TLC, yeah. Sh- something like that. And so you know, it was this painstaking process where agencies were going to pitch new accounts, and it was all this spec work and yep. all kinds of crazy oh, stuff yeah. that went into it. And while that still exists now, I think it's it's different than what it was mm-hmm. then, right? The the totally. level of effort and energy that an agency put into a yep. pitch is com- was completely. Uh, almost, you know, astronomically different than what it is I mean, now. It was, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars of time, right? Was was not unheard of by any means. I mean, we would mm-hmm. we would go to great lengths to pitch business, and yeah, I think we've we've found the same thing more recently. There, there's more of an appreciation, I think, from clients on on the effort that that takes, and I, I we're not we're not necessarily mm-hmm. in that position anymore, and I'm. I'm happy about that because it can it can really wear right. on a team. Spec work and yes. training, yeah. Do you Especially have if we found? you know if you don't win during that process, yeah. right? So the the success yeah. story you're telling is is unfortunately not not the 
not what happens right. in often cases right. when you know when you're pitching all this work it's almost a volume game in some cases and you're right it is draining for a team so you have a team that's super excited about this work and they put their heart and soul into the yeah. effort and and the the work is fantastic the agency's super proud of it uh, the organ you know the people that are involved are super proud of it and then you know maybe you come up second on the list right and it's like man they're just there's just no prizes <laughs> for second though are there right and that's that's hard right yeah. no prizes yeah. for second yeah yeah I think we also found over time that, you know, one of the most challenging things was you're kind of rolling the dice, right? Yeah. So, you know, maybe you hit it right and, and you understand the strategy or, totally. or thinking behind uh, things for the organization, or sometimes you're way off base. And like, those are the mm. most God awful situations to be in yes. where, you know, your whole pitch is like deflate, you know, You've got this big, yeah. big thing you're trying to present, and like ten seconds into the presentation, the client just like pops the blue, mm -hmm. and you're like, you're just sitting there going, "I, I have forty more slides <laughs> about this same thing." It's a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. So I guess just follow the yeah. thinking, even if it's yeah. wrong. Just follow the thinking. <laughs> right. So you know, we we've spent we've actually that's that's actually an interesting deviation that 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 we've had with our agency over the years is we haven't done a whole lot of spec work. Right. Um, we, we'll do a little every now and then, but, you know, as much as humanly possible, uh, we, we really don't. And it's not yeah. because we don't want to invest the effort. We invest the effort differently exactly. uh, in terms of competitive analysis mm -hmm. and, and being able to bring good information to the table and ask really good questions. We want to know about your business. We want to know about your competitors. If we get the creative right, you know, if we roll the dice and we show you some some cool creative right. that happens to align, like great, that might be good, but that's not long. That's not a long term strategy. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting to see how that has evolved over the years. My approach lately has been let's let's work together on some kind of test project, right? Let's let's carve off something manageable uh -huh. that doesn't require too much risk on either side. And let's work through something real together. That's that's proven to be a much more effective mm -hmm. way. We can both get to know each other, right? Because it's got to be a two-way street. It, it can't just be the, the yeah. client passing judgment on the agency, right? It's got to it's got to work in a healthy way for both sides. And if you if you can get that chance to just do some sort of sample project together that the agency is compensated for, that that feels to me like a much better way to figure out if, if there is potential for a long-term relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, like, you're spot on. It's like it test does. driving a car. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. You can't just buy the car online, right? You got you to gotta take it for a drive. And you're, you're right. It's, it has to be a two-way street. So, you know, clients are never happy with an agency that they always have to correct and they don't feel like they're getting the value out of, right? Yeah. And the agencies aren't happy in that situation either. So it's you have to have that working dynamic and and be sure right. that you're clicking and you're gelling and that, and that the agency's capabilities and the team supporting it behind it or behind the scenes uh, can yeah. deliver the work that's expected of the client and the client has to be a good communicator to ensure that the agency understands what they're what they're trying to deliver yep. like it it's so so much of a two-way street and it sounds so cliche to say but it really is a partnership right it's yeah. it's almost a dance yes where you can step on each other's toes super super easily and then somebody's upset because their toes Dark got stepped on and it's hurt, um, but it, if you if you dance properly and you're and you're dancing together to the beat of the same song, then it works. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and there's no better way, to your point, to 
to figure that out early on than with some kind of test project. Exactly. That's a great idea. Yeah. 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 I love that approach. So I guess back to okay. Where so where where are we yeah. in your adventure? You, so you're on Cincinnati Bell, HSR. Yeah, Kodak. You got Kodak. You got Kodak. You yeah. You're. You know, and the irony of Kodak is they invented the first digital camera, but then they almost bet against it. Right? They had mm-hmm. they had such high margins in film mm-hmm. and paper and and that traditional media that they just couldn't. And they couldn't ship the organization fast. They could it's have like the classic that entire space. Yeah, they, they could have done it so differently. It's now the classic business school case study of, of kind of what not to do in this situation that it as is. industries are, are changing. Right, it's pointed to all the time. And I was like, I lived through this. Yeah. It was it was so painful. Like going to their offices year after year and seeing how the teams winnowed down and how they even you know started taking the coffee makers mm-hmm. off certain floors and turning off the lights to save money. Mm. And it was, it was hard. It was a hard lesson to see happen. Um, so ultimately they ended up consolidating the business and the consumer agency work with a Rochester based agency. And, and we were unfortunately no longer, uh, no longer working with them. So I took that opportunity mm-hmm. to make a change. I had been at HSR at that point for six or seven years. Um, you know, again, the internet had really picked up at this point in interactive work. And a, and a lot of my colleagues have left and gone to a place called Bridge Worldwide, which then became possible, mm-hmm. which now is gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. and I, um, I took a position there leading a team uh, heading up P&G brands. So we had there was a kind of an internal P&G team that I was not the head of, but I was on the brand team. So. I was responsible for digital marketing for nine P&G brands, um, everything from baby care to they had a lot of food products at that point, uh, Folgers, Home Cafe, Pringles, um, and then Bounty Sherman Puffs Loves. Uh, it was it was quite an array of consumer packaged goods. And it was my first experience working with uh, kind of the, the P&G mothership. Um, mm-hmm. It was challenging. I will say I felt I felt uh, really out of my element. First of all, I'd come from the business to business world. Now, all of a sudden I'm in right. really uh, a CPG, you know, and like the experts in CPG right there mm-hmm. and, and just learning. And it's not just the experts. It's, it's the very particular way of doing yes. marketing experts. Uh, very, very particular. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, as an agency, it can be definitely challenging to work with yes. uh, such high degree of specifications yes. of how things need to be done. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just how many agencies they would have involved with any one brand um, and the processes it it felt it felt arduous to me for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually only stayed in that role for six months because in the background I. Um, I caught wind of the fact that my my old agency, HSR, wanted to open up an office in Chicago and had an account opportunity and, and a big account that they had won and they needed somebody to head it up. Uh, they wanted to open an office there, but they wanted some link back to Cincinnati as well. Um, mm. And I was I was speaking with one of the partners and he said, but I'm sure you don't you don't want to move to Chicago. And, and I was like, oh. I definitely want to move to Chicago. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will jump at that chance. 
And it was a very quick decision. Um, all of a sudden, you know, I had I had to go interview with the main client and and with her kind of blessing, I was put in charge of a, a large building products um, company called USG, which was a very large account, again, for HSR and um, helped build that office uh, from two people to 15 people in the time that I was there, which was another great experience. It was kind of the best of both worlds. It was like getting the chance to sort of start your own agency, but with the financial backing of a really solid uh, base back in Cincinnati that that could support us and and that there was some infrastructure and and process there, but also, you know, we having the, the flexibility and freedom to do things a little bit differently and how we wanted to as well. Which which was fantastic, and um, and I'll be honest, I thought I was going to stay in mm. Chicago for a lot longer than I did. Um, but then, you know, as it does sometimes, life life has different plans for us. And um, I got pregnant with twins, and that was a little bit unexpected. And I um, made made the decision at that point to move back to Cincinnati. I'd been in Chicago for three years, but um, decided it would probably be a good thing to get a little support from from my family back here. Um, and, and did that for, yeah, well, had kids and kept, kept working after that for HSR for a little bit, but, um, gosh, where did I go next? You're right, Mark. I've, I've worked at a lot of different agencies. (laughs) Um, you have a, you have a great resume, (laughs) great history. I like in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been fascinating to see so many different organizations and, and agencies in particular, and just see how, how differently they all operate. Um, so I, I was at Northlick for a little, little time after HSR, um, also wasn't in that role for it. I feel like I'm the only person in Cincinnati that didn't spend any time at Northlick. Yeah. yeah. Cause like, you know, you, you meet so many different people in the community and like, oh yeah, I was at Northlick for a year or yeah. six months or three years or whatever it was. I'm like, I, I actually had an internship lined up at Northlick when I was in college yeah. and then they canceled it. Like they, oh. they just eliminated the job. Okay. So. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out because I didn't get that experience on my resume. You know? Anyway. <laughs> I think you've, you've I, done I okay. I think you'll be okay. I think you've done okay. We'll do okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I was only there for a short time and, um, you know, it was a tough time for the agency. They had lost a significant account um, mm. shortly before I, I arrived. And I think it was hard for them to adjust. I mean, they were an agency of, of really great prominence. Um, and it was mm-hmm. hard. They were it was hard for them, I think, to make the changes that they needed to, to adjust to losing kind of a really significant account. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got the opportunity to go to, to Curiosity, which at the time had 11 people, but it was essentially another startup agency. And mm-hmm. you're probably kind of sensing a trend here of me and startups and, and smaller organizations and, and growing them into bigger ones. You keep finding your way ones. back there. <laughs> I keep, keep finding mm-hmm. my way back there. Um, and, and again, that environment just really appeals to me. I, I just, I love, I love the unknown and, and the ability to kind of have a, a really strong hand in how an organization develops and, and grows. Um, and yeah, Cincinnati Bell, back, back to Cincinnati Bell with curiosity. Um, that and Profetti Van Mel were our two biggest accounts. Um, and man, that was a fun, fun agency to be a part of because I think, gosh, at the high, we were at, you know, 76 people or so and, and moved mm-hmm. offices. I was there for uh, almost nine years. Um, it was, it was a great, great culture. Um, again, being there from when it was 11 people all the way up to 70 plus was, 
it was just really fun to be a part of and and using and flexing those consumer muscles again was was really a great experience so to talk about that so we've talked about the idea of you being a glutton for punishment and going into startup land because it is it's hard it's a grind building we've yeah. taught we said it early on yeah. building an organization adding team members yeah you know building process until it breaks and then rebuilding it because it broke yeah. um, so all of those things are, are things that you've you've experienced in your career so talk a little bit about um you know whether it was at uh building the the chicago agency mm-hmm. with hsr or moving over to curiosity and building from 11 to the height of 76 like what what are some of the things that you experience as part of that growth train, whether it's team building or process development or, you know, account growth or new business development? I mean, we could go down all kinds of rabbit holes with, wow. with regard to that. Right, right. Okay, it's an easy one. I mean, I, I feel lucky that I've, I've had so many experiences because it has given me a pretty broad network of people um, that I can tap at certain points in the organization when we grow to a place where maybe I think a particular skill set of somebody that I've encountered would be really helpful. Right. So, because sometimes the account people that you start with when you're really small, aren't necessarily the right fit five years later when, when you're larger and you've got larger accounts and you're dealing with Mm -hmm. different sorts of, of not problems, but just challenges or different sets of responsibilities for the client. Um, So it's been really helpful to be in this market in particular, I think Cincinnati is, is just a great networking community. Um, and, and being here has really helped me pull in great people. Um, I think when, mm-hmm. when those things were needed, um, I think one thing we did at curiosity that was so helpful was just defining our, our corporate values pretty early on. Um, and it wasn't right at the beginning, right? Cause there is, it's all still forming. It's all still mushy. And, and who is this company going to be? And, and what are we going to be really good at? And what is our personality? Um, so I think it wasn't maybe until we were four years in or so that we took a step back and really applied a team, an internal team. But we, we really took a disciplined approach um, to talking to our employees and figuring out what what are those core values? What are those, you know, five or six things that we feel are just really true to this organization? And and let's write those down and let's live by those. And then every new person that joins knows exactly what this company is about and what we're great at. And and it, it just helps you grow, I think, to have those things defined. And I feel like you guys have, yeah. have, have done a really good job of that as well. And, and just, you understand the importance of that. I think sometimes agencies are like, that doesn't matter. We just, we just got to focus on clients. We just got to focus on client work and yep. getting that done every day. And that's the most important thing. And, and, and that's, that's not great for sustainable long-term growth. Yep. So you're, you're talking about creating and identifying what your corporate culture is going to be like. Yes. And you can do that through a series of words that you live out every day. Yep. Uh, and that you use to reinforce to your team over and over, this is who we are. This is why we are who we are. We're unapologetic about it. Right. We'll work with clients that appreciate it. And we hope to not work with clients that won't appreciate exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, and and that, that's, that creates a good vibe. But Ryan and I talk all the time about the idea of forced culture. And yep. whether you're a large organization or a small organization, it's really easy for, you know, for it to feel like the um, voluntary happy hour event is actually not voluntary. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
because it's it's yeah. the idea of forced culture. It's it's forced fun. We will have fun right. together. Right. And right. We're having like it. fun. Right. You will do this. <laughs> I know. Uh, we've we've tried to be exactly. Yeah. It it's it's definitely you know the other the other side of it too, Mark. I think is that it provides structure and account accountability for us. Right. Yep. Um, you know, we look at, you know, we have our, our, our corporate values and our, um, our, our three-year vision and, you know, five-year vision and all, all that right. sort of stuff all written down, right. It's all documented. We, we share it with our team, um, on a regular basis. We look at it even more often and we're often looking at it, you know, to measure how we're going against it. Right. Because like anything, like any goal, right. You can you'll meander yeah. a little bit. And, and some of that in the agency world, a lot of times can be driven by the work that you win, or right. the, you know, how the space evolves and you can wake up one day and be like, we're like way off track here. Right. <laughs> or, you know, we're, we have a target that's here and, and we're kind of skewing a little bit and, you know, either your goal has to change or your, or your direction has to change. Um, and having that accountability layer for yourself, I think, is hugely important and, and frankly, undervalued by leadership yeah. a lot of times uh, to be, you know, kind of looking inward and looking in the mirror to say, like, all right, does this, does this thing fit with where we're trying to go? And if it doesn't, are you willing to, say no. to yeah. do something about yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. What is, um, I'm curious, what is like your ideal team size? Cause you keep, you kind of keep coming back to the startup world. Right. Um, and I can see some similarities because I have, I do the same thing. Um, not in that I've come back to the start, but I always start new yeah. projects, right? Yep. There's a certain point I know in my head where, where something just isn't interesting to me yep. anymore. Um, and uh, so I'm curious if you're kind of take on, and it could be, you know, multiple scenarios. I have my own answer, but it's, it's a, it's a yeah. One. And I've worked for agencies of greatly varying sizes. Right. So I, I haven't even right. gotten here, but after I left curiosity, I, I took a job with gyro, which used to be HSR. Um, it had since been acquired mm-hmm. and it was part of the Dentsu worldwide network. Um, and all of a sudden we had like 600 people. Not not in my local so, office, but we huge. were part of like a huge <laughs> behemoth, right? And that was really different for me um, from, you know, 75 or so people. Um, and so we've got 38 here at Lightborn right now. That, that feels like a pretty sweet spot to me. Mm-hmm. I will say seeing Curiosity go from 11 mm-hmm. to 75 plus, things really started to break down over 50, um, processes, sort of even culture really was harder to just uphold. Um, we probably hired a little bit too quickly. And so maybe people weren't always the best fit or just people weren't able to slow down and and bring them up to speed quickly enough. Um, so I'd, I'd say kind of that 50 mark, that 50 person mark is, is where I think I am happiest and where I perform the best. And I feel like I am in touch enough with the work and with the team personally that I find 
personal satisfaction uh-huh. every day in my job, right? I, I really disliked being at a uh, several hundred person agency where I felt like my job was solely administrative and Excel spreadsheets and, and really all about financial management. That's, that's not what motivates me. It's not why I got into this. It's not what right. I enjoy. I, I love working with clients, being a part of the creative it, process and, and yeah. really experiencing that and, and rolling up my sleeves from time to time and doing that. That's, that's what I love. That's the, right. that's the, the person in you that worked in the culinary environment, right? It's yeah. the, it's that team involvement that we can do all this together. Yes. Um, you know, the do your part of the line so that the whole sh- the whole kitchen succeeds together. Exactly. Um, and I think you're right. When you get to a certain size, that then you have multiple kitchens, yes. right? Where you're you're not working right. together. You you have to have multiple kitchens in in our analogy right. here. Uh, otherwise, nothing would ever get done, and that that can be very big. So I, I came from the corporate world. Yeah. Um, you said earlier, Angie, that you have a great a great pool of contacts that you've acquired over the years. I've always told everyone. If you plan on starting an agency, go work somewhere else that is an agency first because yeah. it's going to be way right. easier. Ryan right. and I did not have that background. So we <laughs> we started this agency with having no agency experience yep. whatsoever. Yep. We knew how to build websites and and do things online, but we had no network, yep. either client client side or um, employee or, or team, team wide. So uh, it, it was incredibly different uh, paths that we took to, to kind of get where we are uh, by comparison. That's, I would take your still path. Is. We, we, <laughs> we find ourselves. I'd still take our path. You've done, you've done pretty well, uh, things considered. We, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we we just wind up in a different spot, right? There oh, are yeah. often times where, you know, with that, right, we didn't pick up any of the of the uh, what I affectionately refer to as the agency bad habits. Yes, right. True statement. We've developed them organically, yep. but. You know, because we're we're business people and technical people first, right? The, the two of us are, are are very much business and technically minded. That's the approach that we've always taken to solving even marketing problems. So, some things that folks will value, we're just like, well, why? That doesn't actually matter. And more and more, you know, kind of the world has come around and, and understood that you know, performance and and metrics and and being able to understand how the, the whole fits together is really important, right? right. You can't get away with just kind of a, a catchy, flashy yeah. ad anymore um, and hide behind some vanity metrics or mm-hmm. no metrics at all because now there's a different exactly. expectation. The bar has been raised. And the pendulum has almost swung too far that way, right? So in, in the days of old, I will say creative led everything, right? So it was all about the creative yeah. and and what the how that fit into the brand and how it lifted the brand and even b2b organizations mm-hmm. sort of understood that right they, it was just sort of one of those things now in the digital world and i say to my team all the time if it moves you can measure it but it doesn't mean that it's relevant or that you should care right. about it you catalog it you can put it into the repository that's fine but it shouldn't influence your decision making unless it's unless it matters right. Right. So if you're doing a campaign as an example metric and Ryan talked about vanity metrics, um, if you're running a campaign and you're driving new traffic to a website, as an example, your bounce rate will go up. I promise Mm -hmm. it will. One hundred percent of the time, your bounce rate will go up. That doesn't mean that it's bad. You're driving traffic, some relevant, some irrelevant 
but it's it's still driving traffic nonetheless. Can you refine that over time and start to get a better sure. handle on that metric? Of course right. you can. Um, but that's an example of what we run into as challenges all the time in our space and, you know, being nearly exclusively digital right. of you have clients that, that want to see all the numbers on the dashboard green, mm-hmm. right? Because it's real-time data and reporting. It's like, well, I would love for that to be the case, but that's not, that's not what's meaningful. See these circled numbers? These five things are what matter. Let's focus on improving these five things and everything else will fall into line over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, to have, you know, to bring a clients along with, um, in the digital space, because that pendulum has swung so far the other direction that every metric is seemingly mm-hmm. meaningful, uh, and almost equal in some respects. Are you seeing any clients on that same line of thinking, going to a, a more automated creative process that, that is almost like AI generated creative solely based on performance metrics. Here comes Ryan. Mm -hmm. It it triggered a different thought in my brain. I don't think we've had anybody who have gone that Mm -hmm. route just yet. Um, What I, what I have seen is more Mm -hmm. internally focused. Yeah. Right. There's Mm -hmm. um, the, I don't want to call it concern, but the debate of of how those things will interact and and change our landscape, um, and you know, a lot of folks feel really negatively about them, and a lot of folks feel really positively, and there's some folks in the middle, right? Um, there was recently something with, um, I forget which AI thing it was. Uh, that was utilized, but, you know, I was speaking with, uh, our, mm-hmm. our VP yeah. of creative, Josh, right. who was just on here last week. Um, there was a, a recent scandal, so to speak, uh, over a, a guy used that, uh, mm-hmm. AI creative thing to generate an art piece and one right. in an art competition, yeah. uh, in a digital art competition. And, People were pissed, and you know he and I were talking about it, and you know uh, obviously uh, he's a little more close to the creative than I am, and um, you know I can't draw anything. <laughs> but you know as we were, we were talking about, it, like, hang on, hang on, hang on. If if you're going to to say that this guy's use of this tool to create a piece of art is not art, well, what the fuck are you doing using Photoshop? An illustrator, an acrobat. They're tools. Like, you know They're I mean? just they, different tools. These are tools. different mediums. Right. And, and and folks who, you know, old school photographers would potentially say, you know, digital digital mm-hmm. photography is not the same mm-hmm. as film and developing your own film. Taking a step further, taking that digital photography and running it through something and adding filters and touching things up and doing things is not the same. Yet that is socially acceptable today, right? It's expected. It's expected right. that you're, you know, potentially going to to do some of these things, manipulate things, cut somebody out sure. of the background and put them in something. So maybe this is the next evolution of the tools, which probably scares the hell out of some folks. Um, <laughs> but maybe it's just, it's the next evolution of tools, right? What if we can utilize uh, 
AI to help us generate things and then use rather than us spending our time pushing pixels around and doing things. And uh, we're spending more time on, you know, the focus of the ad or how it's received or how it aligns with, you know, strategy or marketing. The marketing, Um, the marketing holy grail. One of the worlds where I'm very optimistic about. Yeah. I mean, building on that, you're the marketing holy grail is personalization, right? So, Mm-hmm. We've tried to get there in digital by doing creepy things like mm-hmm. following around the internet with a pixel and you know seeing where you browse on the website and you know in in Amazon's world they're they're doing dynamic creative and putting mm-hmm. an image of HTML5 banner ad with the product that you never purchased that follows you around right. the internet so extra creepy so like that that level of personalization has is not new it's just becoming more and more accessible. Yes. That that level of personalization was only available for multi-billion dollar global brands that could afford platforms like an, an Adobe Experience Manager that could create that personalized landing page based on all the stuff that I just described in addition to all the things that you can do in advertising, right? Now that same sort of experience in digital is becoming more accessible with other frameworks and tools and I think what we're talking about with AI based uh, creative is is a natural progression of that. Uh, and I, I say AI, you know, kind of clenching my teeth at the same time because it's it's also a phrase that just makes me want to go jump out a window <laughs> because mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it's it's so broad. Some of it is really good and, and really smart and some of it is just vaporware. Right. <laughs> so right. it's, it's one of those things that uh, buyer beware, read the fine print. It's interesting I mean, I see even applications of this in some of our more entertainment-based work here at Lifeform. So, you know, Blink just happened last week. We did yep. two very traditional projection mapping installations. And then a third in our studio that was all done using Touch Designer, uh, which is a, a newer, more interactive program. So we set up six giant screens in our studio. Each one had a Microsoft Connect in front of it and a projector behind it. And basically there were certain settings and and certain creative that we had as a base in Touch Designer. But from there, the experience was totally personalized and customized based on the person's Mm. interaction and how close or far away, how many people were in the room together and, and different audio and visual things happened on each of those screens and in that environment when, when people interacted with it. Um, so, you know, it, was, it wasn't the same from one second to the next. It was all completely unique. And, and I guess you could in one way consider that sort of AI generated as well, but, but still very creative, right? It's sure. sort of the next evolution of what we do versus just sort of pushing creative out to people. Right. Well, and then, and then, you know, you take that a step further into the next, next evolution, right? Which is potentially, uh, you know, getting into the metaverse and virtual right. reality and, and those sorts of spaces where experiences are, are wholly different um, than we're used to today, right? There was uh, just last week was the announcement of the Quest Pro, Um and kind of how it's meant to work. And they're bringing a lot of augmented reality into mm-hmm. the quest, which is interesting. You know, it's always been focused, very focused virtual. on virtual reality yeah. only. Um, and one of the first things I saw about it that 
was really interesting um, was an augmented reality usage of it where, you know, the, they were showing, you know, my laptop sitting on the table and I put the headset on and now I've got a triple monitor set up with my laptop, right? And everything, the keyboard, and I know this because I, I've experienced it with the Quest, it's perfectly tracked into VR. I can track my hands. I can manipulate things with it. And if the resolution's high enough, I can actually use this, the computer that way. And it's like, imagine being able to bring three screens with you in a headset. That's pretty wild. That's incredible. Um, yeah. And even just the potential additional layers that when we take equipment like that and tools, right, and we give them to our respective teams, what can they do with it, right? Mm -hmm. so you mentioned the Microsoft Connect used in the, mm -hmm. the context of, um, of the touch experience, right? That product has been around for a while, and right. by itself, it does absolutely not. It does nothing, right? Right. Right. You could you can take a connect, you can hook it up to a TV, and it will do nothing. Yeah. But when when you take the tools and you put them in the hands of teams that are that are enabled, it's it's really really neat to see what they are able to create. Um, and in particular, you know the types of teams, right? Going back to our, yeah. you know, I asked the question about team size, um, and I I, I like you know, similar brain in terms of where kind of that sweet spot is, right? Um, but I also, I mentioned my, my take is a little bit weird, right? Because it kind of depends on the, the, the circumstance. You, you kind of need a mm -hmm. team big enough to be able to interactions like that. But you also need like kind of mini teams if you want to get stuff done, right? Totally, um, yeah. You know, I've always found that if, if I really want to do something neat and I would be you know, I, I would guess probably on something specific like this, you know, you have kind of a smaller team. You can't have 50 people in a room trying to work on the same problem. Right. You, you kind of just need like two or three, mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating because there, there's a mentor of mine. Uh, I worked with him years and years ago, very shortly, but he recently was, uh, he's an angel investor and um, does a bunch of, a whole bunch of things in startups. Like, crazy beyond anything I've ever done. Um, and he was talking about how he's still blown away or, or surprised when folks are trying to build a startup and they're trying to build a, an engineering team of 30, say right out of the gate, right? We're, we're just trying to build this product and, and to him, and, and I agree with him and to me, like if we're trying to build something, I need like two. Right. Yeah. You, know, like, you know what I mean? A designer, a couple, uh, a couple devs and, you know, somebody else to help steer things and keep us on track, a project manager. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, that's that sweet spot for being able to just like real scrappy, make changes, do things. Um, and then when we want to build a sustainable business, we need a few more people. <laughs> right, right. No, keep it lean and mean, right? And mm -hmm. It's just the most efficient, streamlined way to to get things done, but I think you're right to also switch gears, right? It's you've got to put things out there, try it, then you got to be willing to to shift if it's not working or if you need to make a change. And if the organization gets too big, that that's yeah, yeah, that's problematic. It, it's difficult to turn a big ship. Yes, you know, there's yep. there's yes. no there's no two ways about it. Yeah, um, you know, we I kind of the size sizes that we're we're at now are, you know, you're big enough to be um, very stable, right. Able to invest in some, 
additional things that maybe won't yield fruit for a while. Um, able to bring in some bigger talent and, you know, all of those sorts yeah. of things, but um, still able to be nimble, right? Still able Absolutely. to shift with the markets, not potentially get passed up and, and locked into, you know, the kind of the political game. That's where it yeah. gets really mm-hmm. weird is kind of yeah. over that like 50, 75, 100 mm-hmm. mark, you know, what I've seen uh, with organizations on the outside is, you get into a lot of politics and you get into a lot of, um, mm-hmm. people, people problems, you know, right. That's, people problems. Yeah. Your day turns into managing only those people problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so building on your career and, and some of your background and experiences, what would you say if you had to identify the top one to three challenges that you've experienced and overcome, what would those things be? Whether that's people management, tough clients, onboarding new clients and your Kodak experience. Uh, I mean, this the it's wide open question, but one that anyone that's building an organization will probably encounter at some point, uh, you know, in, in a similar vein. Ooh, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. I, I think probably... My biggest challenge I've personally encountered, and I, and I do know a lot of people have similar issues, is is that shift from when you, you go from, in my case, it was sort of day-to-day account client service person doing a lot of project management to managing other people. And that's, that's a really tough shift to make, um, to guide and lead and help teach other people as you as you keep growing in your career, but not just do it for them and, and not get frustrated and, and trying to, to be helpful to them and also not get yourself buried in work, I think is a, a really tough transition to make when you're at that mid to going to senior level, um, whether it be on the creative side or, or on the account side, really any, any role that I've seen. Um, within an organization. I think that's that's a really challenging piece. And I know I, I haven't always done it successfully. I think I think I have micromanaged people that that worked below me at certain points in my career. And um, that has not served me well, but I, I tried to learn from from getting that feedback or, or you know, all of a sudden finding myself overwhelmed with work and not delegating at all um, to a point where I feel pretty comfortable with it now. And, and I, I hope I can help others do that when I see them struggling with similar challenges. Um, and, and it, you're so right. De- <laughs> delegation is one of the hardest things uh, to do yeah. as a high performer, as a high performing individual. If, if anyone Not listening is a high performing individual, yes. you probably have the mentality of I'll just take, I'll just do it. I'll just do it'll it. be faster. Mm-hmm. I'll get it done. It'll be better if I do it. And it'll be better if I yeah. do it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've coached our leaders on over the years and will continue to coach them on is the further that you progress as a leader in the organization, the less of a creator you are and the more of an editor and coach you are. Yes. So the more yeah, you yes. have to write and the more you are creating something from scratch, the less you're actually doing your job yeah. because you're not teaching and growing other individuals. You're yes. doing their work for them, Yes. which works temporarily but does not generate long-term successful outcomes for you as a manager or them as an individual trying to grow in their own career. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
what I love that you said that, you know, kind of, you haven't always done that successfully, right? You, you know, what's, what's gotten you there and what works really well. But, you know, I think as leaders, it's also important to have that self-recognition, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of sometimes uh, I can look back and be like, oh yeah, we, I, I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't a good coach yeah. there. Uh, I, I wasn't a good leader there. I, I, you know, maybe tried to babysit too much. I didn't trust, you know, folks. And most people don't talk about that. Most people don't, you know, don't share that even with their team, that, that like minor bit of vulnerability. Um, and, you know, it's something that I, I fundamentally disagree with. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be pretty candid with anybody yeah. that I interact with and, you know, I think it's important to be able to step back and be like, oh, yeah, that's I messed yeah. up there. You just took the word that I was going to say out of my mouth. Vulnerability, I, I think, is just so key. I mean, being honest when you mess up is critical. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think also just kind of bringing your whole self to work. Right. And sharing when you are having challenges or or being open and, and candid with people, I think is really important to getting your team to trust you yeah. and, and, and just know that you, you're a person, right? Yeah. And I think that that applies to clients as well, right? So, For sure. you know, some of the best relationships that I've ever had with clients are the ones that I can be, I can feel like I can be my real self with, right? I mean, we, we've all right. had those clients. Right. Or relationships, you don't have to be a client, but you have individuals that you're like, I'm not super comfortable around this person, so I'm going to kind of be clay and figure well, my out. best behavior. Yeah. Right, best yeah. behavior. <laughs> I got to figure out how what I can say, what I can't yep. say. Yep. Um, but the best relationships with teammates or with clients or with partnerships or whatever are the ones that you're right. You can be vulnerable. You can bring your whole self to work. Right. There's an understanding that in this dance that we're doing together, I'm going to have some missteps. Yep. It's going to happen. Yep. And when we do, we correct them quickly and we move forward. Um, you know, no, no, no individual is perfect, whether that's, you know, a, a world-class marketing organization or an individual working in that world-class marketing organization. None of it is perfect. Uh, it's all experimentation and it's all working with the best information that we have to make the decisions right. that we have at that moment in time and then learning and adapting from there. I do feel like the, the pandemic maybe helped that, right? Especially in those mm. in those mm. client agency relationships, it, it kind of leveled the playing field, and we all had to communicate remotely for a time, yeah. right? Which means all of a sudden, I, I got access maybe to like the room behind you, Ryan. It, I never would have right. been able to get that glimpse of. You know, the cat walking behind you. The random kid coming in the coming in the room. Yep. Exactly. So it, it all of a sudden opened up those parts of our lives, whether we liked it or not. But I do yep. feel like humanization. Yeah. That that now it's kind of okay. Now it's now it's expected that we all have lives and, and we understand that. And that's actually helped build those relationships and in, in, in the cases where yeah, we have yeah. solid relationships made them even stronger. Mm-hmm. it's kind of removed that like teacher aspect, yeah. right? Like I remember being a kid and like the first time you see a, your teacher from school, like at the grocery store or at a baseball right. game, you're Wait, like, what? what are you doing here? You, 
You go grocery shopping too? Wow, I didn't I didn't realize you left the school. I thought you just had to live there. <laughs> so, a- Angie, one question I do want to ask yeah. uh, as as we're um, talking about this, we've talked a lot about building teams. What do you think as building an organization, um, agencies, or even clients that have internal marketing departments are going to have to do to attract and retain talent amidst where we are as a society. You just mentioned COVID and how it's changed our dynamic and working relationship with clients, but I think it's also changed our working dynamic with with employees or prospective employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what do you see as things that that organizations need to be on the, the lookout for? Oh, um, I mean, again, having that great culture, I think is just so important to, to keeping employees and retaining them, it is really tough in this market and it's never been easier for people to go freelance and, and just say, I'm not going to be part of that anymore. I'm actually going to do better working on my own. And and we've had a couple of those instances where that's, that's happened in the past couple of years, but I I feel pretty grateful that most of our team has remained intact. Um, I think it's, become more important than ever for us to just have a, a steady stream of, of new talent coming into the organization too. Um, so we've, we've always consistently 100% of the year got at least two interns uh, from either DAP or NKU or one of, one of the local, local universities around on staff working at all times. And it's just been such a great experience to have Hmm. that breathing new life for the staff that we've got that, you know, super talented may have decades of experience, but, but can still always learn new things. And it's, it's really helped us Mm -hmm. stay, stay competitive as an organization. Um, but also kept the team fresh and, and kept people enthusiastic and thinking in new ways and not getting too set, um, set in how they've always done things, I guess. Um, and, and lots of those interns have gone on to successful full-time jobs here, um, recently, which has been, again, just a great new stream of, of talent that we can always rely on. Um, the changing technology is one of the biggest challenges for me and where we currently are with Lightboard oh, yeah. right now. Right. I mean, it's never been easier for somebody to go buy a, a really high-end digital camera or, or even shoot something on a phone from a video standpoint that looks right. pretty darn good, right? Like you can, mm-hmm. you can make some pretty high quality stuff, especially if it's for social and it's not something that's going on broadcast media that needs to be super high res, right? So mm-hmm. I've got to constantly be thinking of ways that we can, we can be ahead of two guys down the street that just have a, a pretty great camera that could, that could do what we're doing, but at a fourth of the cost. And um, Ryan and I have talked about this different mm-hmm. spaces, uh, but it's the commoditization of certain service areas, yes. right? So yep. in our space, it's the commoditization of website development as an example. Yes. Creative yes. A- agencies that don't have development capabilities now have options of not like no code website design. Right. Um, yeah. They're okay. They don't work for yep. a lot of organizations, but yeah. they do work for some yeah. that just need a brochure or a website. Yep. So that's that's an, a good example of, of uh, similar paths, yes. different spaces. 
of of what we deal with. Uh, and you know, you're right. We have to consistently try to stay ahead of that too. Of how do we make the process of us creating things faster, more affordable, exactly, uh, so that the quality is still higher than what they would get elsewhere, right. but the price point is is more mm-hmm. tenable. And so, how do you innovate internally also, to make that happen? Yeah. There's also like that education aspect too, right? Every time, <coughs> every time Apple releases a new phone, mm-hmm. right? I cringe for a minute, mm-hmm. um, specifically when they get to like photo and video because they they hype it to the moon. It's like, well, of course, if you pair if you pair an iPhone with an incredible DP and yes. thirty thousand dollars in lighting and special effects, you can make some amazing stuff. But you're not paying for that, right? You're like, the phone isn't what makes it great. Right. Uh, it's it's all of the other things that went into it. The understanding mm-hmm. of composition of shots. Absolutely. The, you know, everything, right? And, you know, we see that with the website, too, that Mark was mentioning, you know, all of the, the advertising and things that support that. But that speaks to the individuals we have to work with, right? So they're uh, on the other end, like, wow, my iPhone can produce you know, cinema quality video now, why do I need you guys? And you're like, that's not how it works. And, and you know, we yeah. have to constantly be educators in this kind of new world with, you know, clients and, and, and prospects and those sorts of things of, you know, to help educate and, and not seem defensive. Completely. Right? Completely. Um, which is, is a very challenging line to walk where it's like, not, you know, I love some of these solutions that exist, even ones that are competitive in our space and you know every you know at least once a month somebody's hitting me up about you know a website or something especially you know friends starting a business or something and they're like hey can i right pay you guys to build us a website and like no you absolutely can't <laughs> uh you know we can and we and we absolutely would but that is a terrible place to spend your money right as a new business right right there are other options much more you know much well and better in line with what you need mm-hmm. than somebody like us is going to bring to the table, right? Just like, you know, with Lightborn, right? If I, if you're just starting out and you need some, you know, simple video or some, yeah. some headshots or something. We're right? not that the right not fit really for that. Space, but, yeah. Right. Yeah. Doesn't make sense uh, at that point. That's where you do need the two guys down the street to have a camera. Yep. Um, and it's, uh, it's just, it's challenging because we have other people who aren't in our space that are impacting our space, right? And and kind of the perception of what can be done or can't be done yes. with or without agencies. Yes. We have the same kind of dynamic when it comes to, um, I'll call it digital platforms that organizations mm-hmm. can utilize, right? So there might be one in the, as we were talking about a little earlier, like a, an AI oriented creative composition. You feed it information, it can produce creative on the fly for you for certain aspects like social or whatever. Um, And there are not just dozens, there are thousands of different options of different MarTech that's out there. And, you know, the the universe just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the the number of spaces that it, it is impacting is getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, five years ago, we probably didn't have this idea of AI generated creative. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And if it was, it was exclusively 
in high, you know, high-end platforms that cost a couple hundred grand a year for organizations just to even purchase. Um, and now that's becoming more mainstream. And so uh, marketing agencies, marketers have to not only adapt to that as a challenge, but also embrace it as, as potential areas of, of new opportunity. How can we deliver something to a client that is uh, better, faster, cheaper, right? Um, and how do we make sure we stay on the cutting edge of those things as we deliver? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting world that we live in today. Uh, you were talking earlier about the days of 98, 99. I built my first website in 1999. Um, and you know, as, as we continue to kind of see the space evolve, it's, it's amazing how, you know, just in a one week time frame, it seems like everything changed again. Right, like Ryan just mentioned, the new quest that just came out. It's like, okay, well, while that in, that doesn't impact today's world, the fact that the the hardware exists to support new software oriented experiences could change everything. So you have to keep an eye out on that and be able to use that as part of bringing new opportunities to clients to say this is something you should really pay attention to. Right. Not not for this year's marketing plan, but maybe next year's marketing plan where this stuff becomes more mainstream. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, I think that's where we as agency partners can help clients, right? And that's where we still bring value there is helping them stay on the cutting edge, but then really figuring out how it can apply to their business in a helpful way, not, not to just do virtual reality because it's the shiny object of the moment, but really if it is additive to their business or, or helps them meet an objective, I think helping them sort through those things and, and really understand when it is the appropriate time to bring it into their business is, is still a place where we can have a, an edge up and really help our clients and, and hopefully yep. prove our, our worth as, as agency partners, right? Even if we're not right. doing some of maybe the more commoditized work or if they've got internal teams that are doing that. You know, I still, I still feel like agencies have that, that ability to, to bring in the outside thinking that the clients just can't necessarily see because they're so busy running their, their day-to-day business. And that we've, we've, well, there's no question, you know, we've still got the ideas, right? We've still got the concepts, even if there are different platforms now that make it easier to execute those, they still have a hard time. I think coming up with those, those ideas to really bring something compellingly to market. You know, you bring you bring up an interesting point too. About every decade or so, we go through this cycle of clients insourcing their marketing right. partnership work, or at least a good portion of it, and then they reach this epiphany moment yep. where they're like, "Huh, all the ideas are gone. Right. We should find an agency to bring us new ideas." And then pendulum swings you know, you, round and round the pendulum we go, yes. or the the merry-go-round we yes. go. And you know, I think we're we're currently where, where would you say we are on that cycle right now? Uh, where's the pendulum? Hmm. I've seen an awful lot of insourcing uh, lately. Uh, it feels like it is it is further in the insourcing camp, I believe, than I maybe had seen it previously. I, you know, I think particularly with the pandemic, it, it made people question what they were having people do. Maybe it was harder to work remotely with agencies. So I, I think what I have seen is, is more people bringing that in-house than ever before. And, and we're still seeing 
plenty of work from clients, but it maybe it's more project based than it has been in the past. You know, there's there's a reluctance to sign on for as long of contracts or, or even multiple executions of something. It's like, okay, I recognize I need an agency and 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 you're valuable, but it's just going to be a, a smaller piece or a, a little bit of a lesser commitment because I've got this this internal team. And I feel like I've seen an awful lot of my agency colleagues also transition over to the client side. So I, I, I feel like the pendulum has swung a little bit more in that direction. What do you guys think? I would agree with you. I, I would agree. I, I also think it's evident in just the agency world in general, right? Yeah. So you mentioned earlier Possible's transition from bridge to possible to gray, right? right. So agency con- right. consolidations yeah. in general are, is a huge thing huge. that that has happened, yeah. uh, and it's happening simultaneously with this pendulum being swung towards the insourcing yes. uh, side. And I, I think digital is a culprit of a lot mm-hmm. of that insourcing because you have team members that believe that they can do similar work to what an, what an agency can do in the digital space. Right. And while that can be true in some areas, there's to the point that you made earlier, ideas and expertise mm-hmm. and expertise that transcends one company or one brand or one focal area is so powerful when you can bring that thinking from a variety of different experiences exactly. to the table when you're talking about an activation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you insource all of that, now all I'm thinking about is one brand, one brand, one brand, one brand. And it's incredibly difficult to have any sort of innovative ideas yeah. and thinking um, when you're so micro-focused. Too narrow. And I think those are the I think those are the situations where kind of the Kodak moment happens, right? Or the other one that sticks out in my brain over the in the past is mm-hmm. Xerox, right? Xerox, Xerox literally invented the mouse. They invented the GUI and they invented everything we all use today. Like the entire internet and world, digital world, Xerox created it. The people who made copiers, right? They just didn't know what the hell to do with it. And, and, you know, I'm sure it took other people from the outside, right? Steve Jobs and Bill Gates to look at that and be like, that is huge. That's a game changer and go steal it and sell it to other people right. and create all of the things that we all use today. Right. Uh, and I think that outside perspective, it, you know, it gets really dangerous when you have that like super mm-hmm. insourced group because you're, you can become so much of kind of an echo chamber, mm-hmm. right. Whether yes. it's, you know, feeling that mediocre to bad work is great. Um, or vice versa, mm-hmm. <laughs> or not being, you know, not pushing the envelope for innovation uh, or, or, or those sorts of things because you just don't have that outside input. Um, and I think that's that's an area that, that agencies bring to the table a lot is that, that cross-pollination and, and different ideas and uh, those sorts of things. When done or successful. even just challenging them, right? I mean, the best client right. relationships... I've had in my career when clients have said, we want you to push us. We want you to challenge us. And then they right. actually do, right? I've had some say that. And then when you try and do that, right. and actually it doesn't that. work. Yeah. But, but when they yeah. truly mean that and live by the <laughs> respect when you do that, then I think you've, you've mm-hmm. got something magical. Uh, I have a yeah, sort of always a, the greatest yeah. relationships. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a, uh, it's an unwritten rule, but it's a rule that I, try to impart 
on all new account managers that join mm -hmm. Oodle. And that's if your client isn't saying no at least 20% of the time, yes. you're not bringing them enough thinking and you're not challenging them enough with whatever it is they're trying yep. to accomplish and do. You want the client to feel a little bit uncomfortable, not super uncomfortable, but like a little bit. Yeah. And it's not for the agency's benefit. It's for the benefit of them thinking about new ideas and having to think about how they could apply to their right. business and saying, you know, I hear where you're going with this, but maybe it's not a not now, maybe it's a not now right. situation right. where it's like, I got it. It's in the back of my brain now. We'll revisit that maybe next marketing fiscal um, or something like that where, you know, that's that's sort of that unwritten rule of of that innovative thinking. How do you How do you make sure that your account team is always doing that and because that is pretty much their job right not just for client relationships yeah. it's also their job to hear the client understand their business and then push them with new ideas but it's so hard for young account people to do that right i mean they're i think sort of people pleasers by nature and they feel like they're gonna upset their client they you know it's it's easier to sort of yes we should do that yes i agree with you and and consistently say that it's I found that it really requires a lot of feedback and, and I love that rule for sure. Mark, just, you know, 20% yeah. of the time. Yeah. Get them to say no. Yep. And it, that's it's success. super scientific too, right? Yeah, right. It's just yeah, sometimes, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> One out of five times say yeah. no. Yeah. It is easy to fall into that trap and, and you don't realize it, but you're doing a disservice to both yes. parties in that scenario. Right. And you know, uh, then you come back to, you know, internally, right? Someone, someone like us, and it's yeah. like, well, we can do that if we want to do it wrong, right? And, right. <laughs> and, we just want to keep getting the same really challenging situation. Keep getting the same results that we're getting, right? I mean, so Angie, we've we've talked about a bunch of different topics about building an organization, talked about marketing trends. We could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, but what, what closing thoughts do you have for what, you know, whether that's marketing trends or building an organization or anything else for anybody that's out there? Oh, um, wow. Just on anything? What? <laughs> Hard to wrap this up. We have covered so much territory on, here today. On yeah, we, we really, really have. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we move this in a slightly different direction. What about breaking glass ceiling? So you, you sort of mm. glazed over your experience a little bit earlier, um, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put a bow on that. So Angie's role at uh, Curiosity was vice president of client service. And then she moved to her, her, I guess it would be her first agency employer, which HSR turned gyro as president of the organization. Yes. Um, so, you know, her, her experience is vast in agency life, but her experience is also at an executive level. So just curious, you know, what maybe are some parting words for anyone that's out there trying to, to break that glass ceiling, um, you know, as, as your experience? I mean, I think the reason I, I got to those positions is that I had some great examples that I could model. I, I had some fantastic mentors and really strong cheerleaders and, and champions that helped me as I, as I kept ascending in my career, um, I mean, I, I really, I never felt like anyone pushed me to the side or said that I couldn't have any opportunities because I was female or because I had kids. Um, and, and if anything, it's, it's been me having to try and at times slow myself down and, and realize I've got sometimes competing priorities and, and need to prioritize different things in my life, but, um, I feel very lucky that I've had extremely strong role models, 
um, throughout my career and that, that I continue to have that. And I think, I know it's a little bit cliched, but that is probably one of the best words of advice I can give anybody in their career, particularly in the agency world is, is to, to form just even a very small, tight group of peers or, or mentors that you can talk with as openly and candidly as possible, because this is a challenging career and it is, it is tough to balance all of it. Um, and I think particularly as, as I've taken higher and higher leadership roles that you guys know this, it gets, it gets lonelier the higher up that you get. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you can't be as open sharing as much information or some of those challenges as you have in, in previous evolutions of your career. So, you know, that, that, that group may become a little bit smaller that you can really depend on and count on and, and open up to, but having at least one or two of those people, I think is, is just critical um, to keeping yourself sane and kind of headed in the right direction. That's really fantastic advice. Uh, and it's, it's so much easier said than done, right? So people will ask me like, well, how do I find a mentor? And it's like, well, you've got to find, you got a relationship built. That's, that's how it works. So build relationships yeah. and then you'll naturally find someone that you can gravitate towards that you really respect and, you know, just ask them straight up, like, Hey, would you, would you be willing to, you know, whether it's formally or informally, just, just be in my corner, just give me some feedback along the way. And I ask you good questions. And I've never had anyone that I ever asked those questions to say no. Right. I I think most people are, are very willing to share their experiences and to, to give back because chances are someone else helped them along their journey, similar to your experience, Angie. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of a, an easy way to give back and make sure you're paying that forward. So Angie Lightborn does some amazing work, whether that's in animation or video shooting or events or the event that, that just happened with Blink in downtown Cincinnati. Um, uh, encourage anyone listening to the podcast, check it out, lightborn.com. But if someone wants to get in contact with you directly, what's the best way to get a hold of you? I mean, I'm very accessible. I will, I mean, as you said, I, I would welcome the chance to talk with anyone. Um, emailing me, Angie at lightborn.com is always a great way to get in touch with me, but um, I'm pretty easy to find on, on LinkedIn and all the social channels as well. Sounds great. Well, we've reached the end of the, of the Oodles of Marketing podcast. Thanks for listening this week. You can find us on social media at Think Oodle. If you have any questions that you'd like us to address on the podcast, send them to questions at oodle.io and we'll see you on the flip side.